0: hi i'm josh i'm ken and i'm tj this is serious film people the 1963 recap episode boy do we have an episode in store for you today we're going to talk about our overall impressions of the year we're going to talk about through lines through 1963 we'll discuss the oscars of it all We'll talk about other great movies from 1963 that were not previously covered, and then we'll vote rank them. Sound good to you guys?
1: Sounds good. I, yeah. I also appreciate that you're now embracing the uh, the of it all, No, uh, after except, your diatribe during the Going My Way episode. When I say it, it's said ironically. I um, know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'd like you to keep using it, throw it in there. Yeah. Um, if you have to, even, you know, bring Carrie Ewells on, always on to, to, to yeah. go ahead and-
0: use it for you it's it's the the irony of it all um all right so 1963 parts of this year were a slog but uh i th- i think uh i w- i was glad to have seen these films there were a lot of films in here that were blind spots for me uh i had not seen any of the five films so a- anytime you watch a movie i hadn't seen before in my eyes is a win um overall impressions of the year though Ken, kick us off
1: Well, from the you lived you lived through 1963. What was your uh... I I did many 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 hours spent in a movie theater that year. Um, (laughs) Between that and 62, boy, I practically lived at my local cinema. Um, And these these five films are um, well. I'm a little surprised that they're all here. Um, It it strikes me that the the one through line that kind of jumps out at me. Um, and I'm not sure that it applies to all films from 1963 that we're going to talk about today, but at least I guess condensing our conversation at the start down to the five that we've discussed already. Um, there are, there's a bunch of characters on a journey throughout all of these movies to some degree, and they're in search of opportunity, success and legacy of some kind. And each of the films, I think, Work or don't work to varying degrees, um, to that goal or to that end. Um, so I'm struck by the fact that people, uh, seem to be interested in making and watching films at this period about characters trying to both find themselves and maybe find something in the world beyond what they're usually used to.
2: There's also a sense, and, and I know we're not, we're kind of, we're not we're kind of jumping ahead to like what are the through lines between these movies, but like there's also a sense in addition to being on a journey is like, um, if not a national identity, then at least some kind of identity that's given to you at birth, you know, Mm, Um, whether it be America, America is an immigrant trying to make their way to America. Um, Cleopatra is a queen exiled from her homeland in the midst of a civil war. And like trying to get back to Alexandria basically. And then a bunch of other stuff happens after (laughs) that. But you know, that is like there, um, and kind of figure out where she fits in the Egypt Roman empire situation, I guess. Um, how the West Was Won is like you know, hey, the origins of America, basically. Um, so again, a national identity kind of kind of situation. Um, lose of the Field is a guy, you know, a, a passerby kind of passing through town, and then and then literally builds a church in a in a ch- town he's kind of passing through. So it's like him um, kind of leaving a legacy behind, I guess, but like kind of ex- accepting a mantle thrust upon him. Um, and then Tom Jones is a who we thought to be a low born guy who's actually a high born guy and him kind of going on the journey to get there.
0: Yeah, I, I like the things you guys said real quick before I give an answer to that. Um, was my outline of the episode not clear to you at the beginning that uh, we were not going to talk about this shit? You guys are just throwing this like pulling a tablecloth off a finely set dinner.
1: Well, what do you want me to say? The impressions of of 1963? I already said it's long, T.J. <laughs> it's long. You're spending far too much time in front of a big screen. If you're an audience, a cinema goer in 1963, mm-hmm. these these movies, they did not know how to cut the goddamn movie down to a reasonable length of time.
0: Well, to, to I think
2: re- that's actually what set. I think that's actually what set off Lee Harvey Oswald. Honestly, was <laughs> the movie was too long. Oh, <laughs> that was his breaking point.
0: Well, okay. Uh, so. <laughs> I did get a, like, CNN notification the other day that was, like, new uh, evidence uncovered in the JFK assassination could change everything. Maybe that's what it that's is. What it is. Um, but, uh, I thought
2: Trump was supposed to, like, unseal all those documents. Then he didn't? I don't know. I guess I not. Know. Yeah. Okay. Um,
0: <laughs> so other through lines I see here are—and I think I mentioned this previously— More and more people are getting televisions in their homes, and I see the movies really trying to answer the question of what can we offer in the cinema that you cannot get on the tube at home? And part of the answer is three-hour movies, and part of the answer is a whole plethora of film stars jammed in even for cameos, and part of the answer is extreme cinemascope or these vast, unbelievable set Vistas. sequences. Yes, yeah. This does. You you ain't going to get yes. this watching uh, you know, I Love Lucy, for example. Great show. But but not you're not going to get uh Jimmy Stewart
2: uh Billo, yeah, you, you know, showing you British countryside, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. With the exception uh, of
1: of one of these, they're all they could all be classified as epics. Yeah. Without with the exception of Ladies of the Field, doesn't really fit there. I would think so. And likewise,
0: I see among them not really anything terribly challenging in terms of theme or taboo subject. I think the most kind of challenging film out of this is Tom Jones. Uh, Perhaps, perhaps America, America.
1: Um, Yeah. I was just about to say one of the other commonalities again, I think it's for four of the films, not all five. I found four of these films to be varying, to be, I'll say frivolous to varying degrees of acceptable acceptability for me. Um, I think, I don't think America, America necessarily was frivolous, um, but the other four are kind of, I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way for Lilies of the Field or Tom Jones in particular, but they're not particularly important films, or at least they're not trying to tackle important subject matter. In fact, I think during our Lilies of the Field discussion, we talked about how the film is almost actively trying not to have some of those conversations, Mm -hmm. and Tom Jones, while being experimental and very different is doing more i think for cinema as an industry and a filmmaking process if you will rather than as a story or rather than as an impact on the audience so uh, and then we'll talk i guess we'll talk about the other two that i i'm not specifically mentioning at the moment as far as frivolous in the wrong direction
0: (laughs) all right Do, do we have anything else we want to say in general about the year through lines or impressions before we uh Go into those gold statuettes. I'm good. All right. Uh, so, of the five films that we watched, we watched America, America, Cleopatra, How the West Was Won, The Lilies of the Field, and Tom Jones. Only two of those films, only two, received best director nominations. I believe we've alluded to this previously, but do you guys recall who the two who got in
1: were? Uh, well, no. there's <laughs> there's Tony Richardson who won. He directed yes. Tom Jones. He did. And uh, Ilya Kazan was nominated for America,
0: America. That's correct. No one else gets in. Uh, they're replaced instead by Federico Fellini for a film called Eight and a Half. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Otto Preminger, who seems to just pick up these like director <laughs> but no picture nominations for a three hour Roman Catholic hierarchy drama called The Cardinal starring John Huston as Cardinal Ritter.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: I tr- lose own. I tried to get my hands on this movie, and I I could only find like a $27 Blu-ray, and I'm like, mm, not doing it yet. <laughs> not doing it. Well,
2: All I'm right. just astounded that there's a three-hour movie from 1963 that exists. I didn't know they made movies that long back
0: then. Uh, could you believe it? Yeah. And then Martin Ritt for directing HUD, the Paul Newman Western based on the novella Horsemen Go By by Larry McMurtry. Um, uh, HUD is
2: the movie that I definitely should have watched. If you're going to talk about the Oscars in 1963... If you're going to watch one movie – or two movies had a big presence that weren't in the Best Picture field, and they were 8.5 and HUD, Mm -hmm. especially HUD, though. Mm -hmm. And I've seen 8.5, and and I have not seen HUD. I should have absolutely watched HUD to have an informed discussion about these Oscars, but I didn't Mm -hmm. because I don't do my homework. (laughs) Sorry.
0: That's okay. So maybe to your point, HUD was nominated for three acting awards, uh, Best Actor for Paul Newman. Um, It wins – best actress for patricia neal it wins best supporting actor for melvin douglas um so it has it has three nominations there um, it
2: wins best cinematography too i think it does black and white cinematography yes
0: james wong how wins uh cinematography for uh this dude sounds like a
2: fucking badass by the way i'd never heard of this guy yeah and i just kind of looked him up yeah going through the wikipedia pages yeah
0: tell us more was about this... this badass
2: uh he was born in china uh I'm not gonna try to pronounce where he's from uh but he was the son of some immigrants who came to work on the railroad in the early 1900s which was uh the experience of a lot of chinese immigrants in this country and he um kind of bounced around the west coast in oregon washington ended up in california in southern california at one point and he uh kind of worked he, he was a professional boxer briefly in his young life and then just kind of worked odd jobs around los angeles including being like a bus boy in, in beverly hills and then he got a job like uh, working for a photographer and i think uh he w- was like the the clapper boy like the guy who does like the clapper in-, in between takes you know on a silent film and uh cecil b DeMille saw him and thought it i think he was a- according to wikipedia he was amused by the sight of the diminutive asian holding the slate with a large cigar in his mouth so cecil b DeMille kind of scooped him up and took him under his wing and then he won two oscars for best you know? Out of other, that's, that's, 10, that's cool. ten
0: nominations, uh, The Rose Tattoo. And oh. he was the D.O.P. on 130 films from Damn. 1923 to 1975. Um, yeah, so big shout out there to James Wong Howe. Um, eight and a Half, you mentioned, is the other one that pops up here. And we'll talk, I'm sure, a lot about Eight and a Half throughout. But it was also nominated for and won Best Foreign Language Film. It was nominated for Best Art Direction, Black and White, and Best Costume Design, Black and White, which it won. It loses—you're ready, ready to wince—it loses Best Story and Screenplay Written Directly for the Screen to How the West was won. Yeah,
2: That's, that's, tough. Tough. <laughs> that's, that's, really that's tough. That's, that's brutal. tough. That's yeah.
0: Tough. Um, but, you know, screenplay Oscars. That's how they go. Um, a couple other just shout outs here because we have mentioned a lot that Cleopatra kind of cleaned up in some of the um, technical awards. Uh, the Birds, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, is nominated in yep. Best Special Effects, one of two nominees, and it loses to Cleopatra. Um, so uh, I thought that was kind of funny. And the other one that I want to point out is the Best Live Action Short Film, not a category yes. we usually talk a lot about. Yes. But what one, Josh? Yes.
2: Uh, an incur- an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Have you seen it? I have seen it mm-hmm. because, uh, well, first of all, this is a French film adapted from a short story, I believe. Yes. And it's 22 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it because when I was in college, a few of my roommates were really into The Twilight Zone, the Rod, Ster- Rod Sterling 1960s twi- uh, TV series, uh, for which this was uh, basically just scooped up. And used as a standalone episode in season five of The Twilight Zone. So season five of The Twilight Zone has this oscar winning short film as an episode. Yep. And I saw it uh, in a dorm room in college. Yeah.
0: It's really cool. It's, it's really good. It's really good. I teach the Ambrose Beer short story, and so I showed the film. Uh, they didn't like it as much because it's from 63, and anything that was made before they were born is garbage. But uh,
2: Shut up, high school kids.
0: It's, it's really, really good. I think it played a can that year.
2: Um, yeah. Also, the the cartoon short film, which is what it was called back then, not animated short film, but I think Mel Brooks was involved somehow in the animated short film this year that won. I don't know. Oh. He didn't personally win an Oscar, but I think he like narrated the animated short hmm. that won the Oscar for... Interesting. Won the Oscar, yeah.
0: And uh, the best song winner is Call Me Irresponsible from a film called Papa's Delicate Condition, uh, music and lyrics by Diane Warren. So... <laughs> That's wait that's, not, a joke, right? that's a joke that's a joke Okay, good. <ahead>. Um, <laughs> <but>, um, <laughs> the fact that you weren't sure though <laughs> makes my point um so that's the oscars and uh i wanted to ask you guys just kind of looking through the oscars does anything stick out to you i gave you some kind of impressions there but does anything stick out to you other than what we might have previously mentioned
1: um, well, I am. We, we, we talked about um, obviously Sydney Poitier winning for Lilies of the Field, the best actor. You just mentioned Patricia, Patricia Neal and Melvin Douglas winning best actress and supporting actor for HUD. Um, as part of my own separate homework for this 1963 series, I went ahead and, and tracked down a copy of the VIPs and watched it. Oh, um, Margaret Rutherford was winner of best supporting actress for that film. She plays mm-hmm. in a, a, a rather kind of snappy uh, old duchess, old duchess, British English duchess, who is just trying to get a flight to um, the U S not that she's excited about it. Rather, she's rather um, upset about the fact that she has to go to Florida where she's hoping to understandable. Basically- <laughs> exactly. I don't blame her at all. Um, she's spends most of the film infuriated with the staff. She doesn't insist. She doesn't like being uh, uh, treated any uh, by any special, um, like with kid gloves or anything the fact that she's uh, a member of the british aristocracy she's more hands-on she doesn't like bragging about her position but she is trying to save her pile as i think the british often refer to old english estates um, it's crumbling her husband's deceased and she's trying to basically keep it operating as an estate and she needs money she needs cash and there's an opportunity in florida for her, and so she's going to Florida basically to debase herself in order to get some money. Um, and ultimately all throughout the film, uh, she ends up getting opportunities from various other, other personalities, including ultimately Orson Welles playing oh. a German film director who decides he's going to pay her a buttload of money to use her estate in his next movie. And so she immediately rips up her ticket and decides not to go to Florida because thank God for Orson Welles. So it's a strange movie and I I mention it here because we obviously discussed Cleopatra and the VIPs most prominently stars Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton And oh, what I can only assume was filmed during their downtime from Cleopatra. <laughs> they must have Outlet. just squeezed this in mm-hmm. and it's not a bad movie by any means, but it's an odd movie because it primarily takes place in an airport terminal and at the hotel next door and the two of them kind of do the same thing they do in the second half of cleopatra and the same thing they do in um who's afraid of virginia wolf where they're pretty much playing a couple at odds mm-hmm. and um and it- yeah it's it plays better i think than cleopatra but not a great film it's just an oddity i think and the fact well, that Margaret Rutherford think- wins. Strange.
2: I'm at least glad you mentioned it, though, because what I was going to say is that the Oscars, if you look at the winners, it's kind of top heavy in terms of like effectively every major award was won by either a Best Picture nominee or HUD or eight and a half. And the only categories where one of those one of those seven movies didn't win was like, you know, your your short films, your documentaries, and then Best Song, Best Adapted Score, Best um, Sound Effects. And then Best Supporting Actress, which was what you just cited yeah, for, the VIPs.
1: She beats I, – I can I can only assume we talked about the other five nominees – or the other, excuse me, four nominees. She beats nominees. three
2: actresses right. from Tom Jones and then the actress from the Field. Right, Elizabeth the actress – had none. Right, Mother
1: Superior in that movie. And honestly, Margaret Rutherford is playing just a slightly – well, not slightly different. She's playing kind of the antithesis, the antithesis to the Edith Evans character in Tom Jones, whereas Edith Evans carries herself as this – high and mighty, you know, well-to-do, well-bred, um, self-important uh, aristocrat in Tom Jones. Margaret Rutherford is playing the exact opposite. She's she's borderline Miss Marple. Margaret, Tha- Margaret Rutherford is most famous, I think, for having played um, Miss Marple in a series of adaptations of Agatha Christie novels, where she plays the, the old lady sleuth, basically a precursor to Murder, she wrote. And she basically plays that same character, it's just they tag her with this title of duchess. Mm. And it's it's a charming little performance, but it's a little odd that it, it wins Best Picture. Um, she's not doing a whole lot different, I think, than anything else I've ever seen Margaret Rutherford in. Uh, Josh, do you have anything else on the Oscars?
2: No. I wanted to mention the two short film categories, which we already have, and I wanted to mention... Um james wong how oh, and yeah. we did that as well so that's all i had
0: sweet so the reason this this year i picked this year um and the reason i picked this year was uh tom jones actually i didn't mention this on the episode it's a very kind of important movie in my life um i also am a foundling bastard child that was named so tj you hear me refer to as tj on here and the tj is tom <laughs> jones this was my parents favorite film um you're lying yeah that's that's a lie that was a lie that's a holdover it's a that's a joke from another another week Uh, I picked this film because, like I said, I I hadn't seen any of them and I wanted to see them, but also because I think this year is a garbage year for the Oscars, but an excellent year for world cinema. And that takes us to the next portion, which is, I believe my top 10 from 1963 is full of some effing headbangers, as Kim would say. Um, (laughs) And you'll notice that none of these headbangers were nominated for Best Picture, despite me liking... One or two of the Best Picture nominees. Um, so I'm going to try to blitz through, and I believe Ken has a top 10 as well. Yep. But um, Josh, actually, do you want to go first as the person who doesn't have a list, but maybe would have a couple movies from 63 that you were fond of?
2: Um, I'll have to Google movies that came out in 63, because I don't know any of them offhand.
0: Why don't you do that while Ken and I start our top 10s, huh? Okay, and let's, do that. Let's do a little, uh, little rat-a-tat here, Ken. Okay. So I'm going to start at 10... Uh, actually, I'm going to start before 10. I'm going to start at, uh, here's just a whole list of that I'm just going to list. Other movies that I thought were really awesome that didn't make my top 10. Uh, notice the number of short films in here. So Andy Warhol's Blowjob, uh, at Owl Creek Br- Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, previously named, "Le Petite Soldat, which is a Jean-Luc Godard movie, The Bakery Girl of Monceau, which is Eric Romare, uh, La Ricotta. Is a short film with Orson Welles dubbed in it by Pierre Paolo Pasolini. Flaming Creatures, which is kind of a classic of uh, queer film. Salut les Cubans, uh, Anja Sparta documentary about her trip to Cuba. Scorpio Rising, which is a Kenneth Anger, another short film that's kind of a classic of American queer film. Uh, my uh, The Great Escape, Charade, From Russia With Love. My number 13 is America, America. Then I got Bay of Angels, Jacques Demy. Uh and Shock Corridor at eleven. So that was just my movies that didn't quite make it. Josh.
2: So I Googled 963 movies to see if there was anything that I'd seen. Uh well number one, the obvious one is if you go to our Patreon, we have an episode on Promotion with Love in Unserious Film People. So I I have seen that because we watched it for the podcast. Um and the other movies I've seen from 1963 are mostly stuff that the three of us watched together in our little film club during COVID, which was basically this podcast before we had microphones in front of us. Um c- because we watched during the- we watched Contempt, didn't we? we did. Yes. Yeah, the um uh, uh, Godard, the movie, Godard Contempt.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Yes, which uh I I kind of remember parts of that movie but not a ton. <laughs> God- Godard Godard movies kind of just like wash over me. Uh mm. like I watched them in the fact that like I sat in front of the screen and they played, but like I don't really, you know, with the exception of the breathless, I- I've tried with him, and I maybe need to try harder. But, you know, so contempt is there. Um, the Leopard is also a movie we watched yeah. uh, during our little COVID film club, which is, I believe, like, one of Martin Scorsese's top ten movies. Like, Ugh. he really, really likes The Leopard, I think. Um, the Leopard you and are... the Red Shoes. <laughs> uh, you're cringing at The Leopard. Did you? Oh. I don't remember what... I remember probably even less of The Leopard than I remember of Contempt. And The Leopard's like three and a half hours long. So, like, Mm -hmm. there's a lot more for me to have forgotten about it, but I'd have forgotten pretty much all of it. Um, I also know Scorsese is a big fan of America, America. So, like, Mm. as much as I love Martin Scorsese's movies, maybe I just don't quite uh, align with him on the movies that he particularly likes. Because, yeah, I've watched his recommendations and they uh, don't click as much for me. Um, The Birds is here, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, just a. Hitchcock movie that I feel like most people have seen. Um, and lastly oh oh did we watch the haunting during our film club as well? We did. We did. Uh, I liked that. Yeah. yeah. Um, with our boy Russ Tamblin. Yeah. Russ Tamlin's in that, yeah. yeah. Was that like uh w- was that um, the same source material as like the Haunting of Hill House? It is yeah. or something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just make the sense. Shirley Jackson uh, so novel. If you've, watched, if you've watched Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, uh, this is that except not the world famous jump scare that's in the Haunting of Hill House. Um, and lastly, uh, we have High and Low, mm. the Akira Kurosawa movie High and Low, which is about I remember a kidnapping, right? Like yeah. a, a guy's son gets kidnapped, and it's like a negotiation situation. Um, I remember liking that and watching it because it was highly recommended by Bill Hader, uh, who was talking about it during like his interviews promoting Barry. And um, I remember liking it a lot, but. I should also probably revisit it because I saw it a few years ago and don't remember every detail, but I remember liking it a lot. So high and low is probably high and not low
0: on my list of 1963 movies. So, uh, Kim, we'll get to our lists. And did you have any
1: honorable mentions before we get to the tens? Uh, Just a couple. In addition to ones that you mentioned, um, there are, I mean, we mentioned Firmation with Love. These aren't particularly great films, but they're films, I think, that are worth a look, particularly if you like comedies of the time period, which I do. Um, you got Pink Panther, mm. uh, the original, starring Peter Sellers and David Nivens. Um, from this year, we have got Irma LaDuce, which is a Billy Wilder film. Um, in fact, it's the next Billy Wilder film after The Apartment, and once again stars Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine, uh, set in Paris. It's very different from The Apartment. Uh, it's colorized and uh, it is strange it's a strange watch it's also long it's a really yeah. long comedy by comparison it kind of dropped to la Deuce. Um, that, that said, it does win an Oscar because it won adapt, I believe it, it won the adapted score category that Josh mentioned yeah. a little while ago. One of the four categories not won um, by those seven movies I mentioned. Yeah, yeah, a really pretty, actually, pretty good screen uh, score. Excuse me from uh, Andre Previn. So, mm. um, uh, shout out that one. But we can get started on our, our cool. back and forth lists. Um, yeah, why? Some some have already been mentioned. Yeah, of course.
0: Let's like Nadal Alcaraz this thing back and forth, and by that I mean don't take your COVID shot. Um, all right, so my number 10 is The House is Black. It is a 20-minute documentary uh, set in a leper colony in northern Iran. And this movie is, uh, wow, it is beautiful in looking and finding beauty in things that are kind of deemed disgusting and ugly. And it is just a, a film about the bare look of human dignity, and it's very affecting in just being 20 minutes. Available on the Criterion Channel. Directed by Farhu farouk
1: all right, my number 10 I'm going to start out with, and I, I have to admit, I haven't seen the one you just mentioned, TJ, so I'll have to take a look. I'm writing these down as we go mm-hmm. um, so that I can catch up with any that I haven't seen myself. My number 10, I'm starting with The Birds from Alfred Hitchcock, which mm. was already mentioned. Um, it's not one of my favorite Hitchcock films, despite the fact that I love almost all things Hitchcock. Um, that said, I've come to appreciate this film more over time. I think when I was younger, the first time I ever saw this movie, knowing it came right after Psycho for Hitchcock, um, it always kind of was a bit disappointing to me um, because it's just, it's not as powerful uh, a thriller uh, as that one is, or, or for that matter, many of his preceding films. You've got uh, North by Northwest and um, Vertigo coming right before Psycho. So this one always kind of left a slightly lesser taste in my mouth that said on rewatches over the last decade it's grown on me a bit as a film in and of itself as a separate film all by itself uh i particularly like uh hitchcock's choices that's um that's not to say that i love his uh filmmaking styles that is torturing uh Tippi hedren as he allegedly did mm-hmm. during the uh filming um but i like many of the choices he makes here and i particularly like the choice the 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 decision to make a film uh, in which humanity is being attacked by nature as it is in that film. I think lots of other films try to do it and I'm not sure they do it quite as effectively Mm because there are some legitimate uh, thrills and scares in that movie that hold up over time. Sweet. My number nine is the previously mentioned Jean-Luc Godard film
0: Contempt. Not my favorite Godard film, but probably in my top five Godard films uh, starring Brigitte Bardot. Michel Piccoli, and Jack Palance, as well as Fritz Lang. Fritz Lang playing a director who is making an adaptation of the film The Odyssey. When they suspect that he's going to make a bomb, they try to hire a new screenwriter to come in and punch up the script. And then that kind of veers off into the destruction of a marriage, as it does. Um, I really like Contempt. I was on its, I think, wavelength with what it was trying to do intellectually. I felt like I was actually able to kind of understand it there. And I found in ways that a lot of other Godard movies don't quite get for me, um, that it worked emotionally uh, in the end. So Contempt is my number nine.
1: At number nine, uh, I've actually got America, America. So I've got Mm. that, that's a recent slide into this, uh, this list. I will, I will say, it's not really a spoiler. It's the only one uh, from the 1963 films we've discussed in each episode. So the best picture nominees, it's the only one in my top 10 list. Um, but I really, really appreciated the look at the immigrant story in this movie. I hadn't anticipated it. I really, know, I didn't know what to expect, um, other than the fact that Kazan is a well-respected uh, filmmaker and and uh, drama story writer. But uh, this film really kind of has settled with me over the last few weeks since we watched it. And, uh, we'll see. I- I'm interested to see what my take is going forward. I don't, I'm not going to rush to rewatch it anytime soon because, you know what? One sitting was enough for a year or two. <laughs> but I'd like to revisit it at some point in the future to see how I feel about it, um, going forward because as I think on it, uh, this film kind of rises in my esteem, I think, more and more. Um,
2: it's interesting you say how it's settling for you in the previous, and the, over the past few weeks because for me it's kind of been the opposite where like, I, I barely remember a single thing that happens in this movie, honestly. <laughs> and, like, that might be because, like, this might be a me problem that my brain's turned to mush because we are <laughs> watching, discussing 1963 nominees. Uh, I am editing 1944 nominees to be aired on the podcast feed. I am also editing TikToks for 1997 movies <laughs> to go on our TikTok account. And I'm also trying to keep up with, like, current releases as best I can, but I also have been in the movie since I saw Bottoms like three weeks ago. So like my brain might be turned to mush, but I can't recall many details from America America besides that guy's eyebrows.
0: <laughs> uh, he, he's he got a unibrow thing going on there for sure. Uh, my number eight is high and low by Akira Kurosawa. Yeah. I am not a huge Kurosawa fan, but I think this is probably my favorite Tarasawa film. Um, I much prefer the kind of contemporary settings that he does to his samurai films. Uh, Josh described the movie earlier. I'll just add on there that I really like the way it sets up. It's it's a propulsive thriller, but I like the way it sets up. Do you have concern for someone who's not your kid when they're put in danger? Um, and Toshirô Mufune, giving a very different
1: performance than he typically gave, but man, that guy was good. Yeah, he was. He was so good. Yeah, more on high and low actually to come. Um, Along with a couple others we've already mentioned, but I'm glad I'm glad it's there on your list. Um, my number eight, I actually have the Leopard on my list from Woo! Uh, Lucino Visconti. I actually quite liked this film when we watched it. Um, it's the story of, a, of an Italian prince in the late nineteenth oh, century. Sorry. Just just <laughs> hearing about it made me fall asleep for a second. <laughs> uh, it's it is definitely an epic, uh, appropriate <laughs> for the time period. Um, story of uh, a Sicilian prince, uh, right around the time of unification in Italy. And he's trying to keep the family, uh, afloat. The, the aristocratic, Italian aristocratic family that he's leading. And, uh, it, it obviously, uh, stars bert Lancaster, who's an American. It's an odd choice. Um, Claudia Cardinali is in here. She looks at the, she, she, I think gives a pretty good performance. I like her slightly better in, uh, How the West uh how the west uh, sorry, not how the west was won but once upon a time in the west a few years later um that said this movie is there's a there's a beauty to the movie in its slow methodical kind of uh distillation of everything that's going on historically speaking in italy at this time period i'm fascinated by it so it lands in my top 10 uh again i think out of interest and fascination more than necessarily the fact that i i think it's one of the great all-time films but nonetheless here it is at number eight on my list My number seven is a film I watched in preparation for this podcast, uh, Louis Maul's
0: The Fire Within, available for free on Criterion Collection. It is about this uh, fellow named Alan, who is an alcoholic, and despite the fact that his alcoholism has been successfully treated at a detoxification clinic, doesn't believe that he should leave because he actually is suffering from uh, depression or anxiety and no one really takes him that seriously for it so he decides to kill himself but first he's going to make a quick round about paris and catch up with his old friends before he does so and um this movie does not go where i thought it was going and sometimes i'm watching a movie and there's a moment or a line that i'm like okay i'm i'm really hooked now it was this he says to his doctor the doctor says do you have feelings of anxiety and he says not feelings of anxiety doctor it's a constant feeling of anxiety And I was like, I'm in.
1: Um, Mm. It was a really good film. For me, at number seven, I have The Great Escape. I know you mentioned it Mm. already, actually, TJ. Um, As far as war pictures go, I think The Great Escape is one of the better ones. Um, Another one that comes to mind that's not from 1963 that's similar, possibly a little darker, and one that I I might like slightly better is Stalag 17, which uh, is from about a decade prior to this. But this one, nonetheless, is one that I think has not only survived really well, culturally speaking, a lot of people still love The Great Escape and reference it. I mean, it's got an iconic performance from Steve McQueen, the lead role. You've got James Garner in there, um, and Richard uh, Attenborough, Charles Bronson, James Coburn. Great cast of British and American actors playing prisoners in a Nazi war camp who are trying to uh, organize an escape breakout of the prison. Um, and I think the film does a pretty good job of – trying to not only present an entertaining and adventurous film for its audience at the time period, uh, but also does a decent job of displaying some of the thoughts, emotions, and motivations of prisoners in these camps. Um, it's not the most, I would say, accurate depiction necessarily that we see on screen of these kinds of camps, but I appreciate the fact that it is doing so in an attempt to, I think bring the audience kind of up to date and um aware of the time period and what the what the soldiers may have been again what they were thinking and what motivated them most um and how they interacted with one another the fact is there's some conflict at times between the characters and i appreciate the fact that it's not all just good guys versus the nazis the fact that there is inherent kind of opposition among the allied soldiers it makes for an interesting watch mm mm-hmm. My number six is Alfred Hitchcock's The
0: Birds. I used to think this was a not that good Hitchcock movie, and boy, did the rewatch sing. Could help that I've got a beautiful 4K. Um, here's what I really like about this film is you kind of – okay, I don't want to say that. you don't. I'm not I'm not going to say you don't need The Birds, but uh, Melanie Daniels is such a fascinating character. The first half of this movie where you barely get really any bird action going on, I'm just like, what is up with this lady and what is she going to do next? Um, And then the birds show up, and it's very vexing what the birds are actually a metaphor for. Obviously, it's something sexual, but it's not quite – it's very hard to pin down, I think. And the movie does a really cool thing that Jaws would do later as well, which is, you know, the real terror is what the people do when there's a threat. Um, To quote the tagline, remember – the next scream you hear
1: may be your own. I, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Rewatch, rewatch. Let's let's do a, a joint rewatch, can we? Um, number six for me. I've got El Verdugo or the Executioner. Uh, I wanted uh, to watch that one. It's yeah. a it's a it's a comedy uh, from uh, Luis Garcia Berlanga. So it's a Spanish uh, film that I I really enjoyed. Um, I don't know if it's still streaming on Criterion. That's where I first watched it a couple of years ago. Um, It tells the story of kind of a a hapless undertaker who can't find love. He doesn't really have uh, much pride or much to speak of in his life. Uh, And he ends up befriending the local executioner, the regional executioner, who has a daughter that no one will date or marry because no one wants to be related to the regional executioner. And he gets not only roped into marrying her, but roped into becoming the successor executioner which kind of comes with a a, a, down, a downer of a reputation. People don't really like hanging around with these people. <laughs> and the, the whole film is him trying his best to fulfill the role without actually execution, executing anybody. Mm. And it's a brilliant little comedy that I highly recommend for anybody who wants to take a, a look at a foreign film from the time. Nice. My number five is a
0: film by Alan Renee called Muriel or the Time of Return. Um, Alan René made Hiroshima Mon Amour and one of my favorite films last year at Marienbad. And he was just a really weird French dude who worked a lot with Alan Rob Grier. And this film, it's very hard to talk about the plot because it's precisely about the unreliability of memory and objective versus subjective past and private and historical trauma and it's a movie that like resists synthesis all over the place with these with very strange editing techniques throughout. Um, it's it's very cerebral. It really keeps you on your feet, and by the time you get around to the end of it, um, it's it th- the affect of it is very strange. You have a feeling of having like lost something, and it was a very affecting movie, uh, effective movie for me. So that's Muriel.
1: For me, at number five, I've got Charade from Stanley mm. Donnan, starring Audrey Hepburn, Cary Grant, uh, and Walter Matthau. What a um, fun movie. It is. It's a brilliant yeah. movie. It's, it, we've mentioned this before, I think, on a previous episode when we've mentioned charade, but in fact, I think we, we discussed it briefly on From Russia with Love of All Things. Um, but the fact that it is notoriously considered the best alfred hitchcock film that alfred hitchcock didn't actually direct um so it's telling that i've got it here above the birds because i think charade is a brilliant brilliant cat and mouse game that is a, a it's basically a masterclass in pacing the mm-hmm. film does a very very good job of um setting its thrills slipping in humor where necessary and and keeping the audience on your toes. So you're never exactly sure who's telling Audrey Hepburn the truth in any given moment. Yeah. And whether or not what she's understanding or what information she's receiving is true or accurate. And it doesn't... Uh, to the like the very last moment. Of correct. The movie. It's yeah. one of the only films I've ever seen where every time I introduce it to somebody new, they're not there nobody's ever as confident when you're going into the last few moments. If I've talked to them after they've watched the film, nobody ever seems perfectly confident on what the hell's going on until the final reveals. Um, It's quite good. I think, yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's telling how brilliantly a film uh, it is. And Josh,
0: I would recommend that one to you as well. I think that's another one of those, like, it doesn't feel like a super old movie. It plays pretty well. Um, and I think you would like the, the thrills of it. Um, all right (laughs) all right my number four uh here's where i lose my my film bro card ready um it's been a while since i've seen this movie so maybe it should be higher maybe it would be higher but here's where it is eight and a half is my number four film of 1963 Um, i have a
2: question how dare you (laughs) yeah i
0: know um i mean it's a masterpiece there's not much to say about it really but uh i really appreciate fellini i don't he's not up there on my like Mount Rushmore and people that are in the top three are. So I I can't say anything negative about eight and a half other than it just didn't quite reach that inner circle for me. Um, There's a lot to say about eight and a half, but we're playing tennis here. So
1: Ken, go (laughs) ahead. Number four for me is the haunting, which I'm pleased Mm. Josh brought up earlier. Um, This is one of my personal favorite films, particularly this time of year um we're, we're in the fall now and everybody's listening to this they've got halloween probably on their minds um this is definitely a film if you've never seen it i highly recommend it's from robert wise it's basically the first film he did right after west side story it couldn't be any more different from that film in tone and um and and story um adapted from the haunt, a haunting house on hill uh excuse me a haunted, a haunting on at hill house um all of the characters in this film fascinate me the performances are all excellent and it's a another perfect example of tension building and like jaws later on um similar to the birds but more i think like jaws robert wise does so much by showing so little Mm. that this film is still eerie some 60 years later um so i really 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 love this movie just for the
2: record while we are recording this in september and it is spooky season for sure by the time people hear this it'll be november 9th and no one will have Halloween in the brain anymore So
1: oh, sorry it'll,
2: Go back in time and watch it during spooky season It'll
1: still, it'll still, be, it'll still be spooky enough um. <laughs> uh,
0: Alright on to number three This movie uh, I couldn't pen down if this was 1962 or 1963 But I wanted to get it on a list So I went ahead with 1963 um, Chris Marker's La Jetée A 28 minute film That is a series of still images And damn is this movie good Have you guys seen this? i have not what the hell are you talking about (laughs) okay this movie is amazing you need to watch this movie uh it's about this guy who is a slave and he's he travels back in time in the aftermath of world war iii and is supposed to find a solution to the world's fate by replenishing food medicine and energy but he keeps circling back to this memory of a woman that he was in love with and her death which might have been on an airport viewing pier um this movie is about, again, obsessions with images and the image's ability to tell truth about the past. Um, I, one year, got a really wild hair and showed this in a film class, and half of them were like, I hate my life, get me out of here. And half of them were like, whoa, movies? Um, so, La Chate, so good. Top 100. on to the
2: Wikipedia page, it was inspired, uh, I'm sorry, 12 Monkeys inspired by and borrows heavily from yeah. La Chate.
0: Yeah, this is a top 100 movie for me. It's it's incredible. I've uh, I've heard of it, never seen it.
2: Um, I twenty eight movie twenty eight minute long movie made mostly of still images. Yeah, wow. I'm, okay.
1: I don't. I don't want to make assumptions, but I have a feeling. Um, before we get there, don't reveal anything, TJ. I think we we might be visiting Sweden before the end of this conversation. For you or for me? For you. Um, perhaps we'll see um, at number three i've actually got contempt can uh, it would be pharaoh to say that yeah <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> <Jeez>. yes contempt. <laughs> go ahead uh, contempt which we've already talked about and discussed a little bit um jean-luc godard um i like this film almost as much as i like breathless i'm not the biggest godard fan but i've come around over the last few years um and i i really really liked both of those early sixties films from Godard in um, this film is as uh, TJ mentioned earlier has a really great cast and it's really working for me. Um, I particularly love the relationships between the characters in this film, um, particularly the, the couple at the heart of the film, um, Paul and Camille. Um, and throughout this film, it kind of, it takes its time. It's not in any rush to get where it's going, but I love the depiction of kind of awkward difficult um, scenes playing out between characters and the fact that this film doesn't shy away from it, it wants to go there. Um, It's kind of a ballsy ballsy movie. Um, And I have revisited it once since we watched it together, and it still holds up for me. So Contempt, Mm. all the way at number three for my 1963 Mm. list. Well, Ken, you called it. Number two, (laughs) we're heading over to
0: Sweden uh, for my boy Ingmar Bergman's film, The Silence. uh, Rounding out his faith trilogy, or really his silence of God trilogy. Um, This movie, again, very hard to pin down plot-wise what it's actually about, but you've got sisters, you've got a young son, you've got a near-empty gothic hotel, you've got uh, curtains blowing in the breeze, you've got gorgeous black-and-white cinematography, um, uh, isolation, the inability of communication, a world where not only is God silent, but perhaps there is no God um this is an enigmatic enigmatic movie that is so um josh calls them vibes movies and as as far as a vibes movie goes um i'm all on board with the silence
1: for me number two i'm sticking with a legend of international cinema just not swedish uh, i'm going back down to italy and i've got eight and a half here Oh. so I don't know if that I don't know if, if having it number two, if that gets me a punch in my my film bros <laughs> card or not. Um, but I've got eight and a half here because it really does work. It's not my favorite Fellini film. I think La Dolce Vita is the one I've revisited more often. Eight and a half, though, is the one that kind of feeds the part of me that loves filmmaking. I um, probably more so than La Dolce Vita, which is just more of a commentary, I think, on, on not to be uh, simple about it, but life and mm-hmm. humanity but eight and a half is the one that i think kind of gives my get, gets my engines revving um, most among the fellini movies for this this time period in cinema yeah um so yeah eight and a half at number two uh it's it's always worth a revisit every you know every i don't know half decade
0: or so ken i was really expecting it's a mad 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 world to be on your list
1: yeah no it's not there. Um wow. It okay. I that's an odd it's a that's a strange movie, a, another one with Spencer Tracy prominently depicted. Yeah. Um instead of narrating like he does in How the West was one. And he, everybody is in that. It is. They everybody makes an appearance. It was yeah. it, for listeners if you're not familiar with it's a Madman Madman World, it was uh, remade in the ver, in the form of Rat Race in yeah. 2000. Um and, starring Carrie Elways. That's right. Exactly. Nailed it. Uh, Number
0: one, we're still hanging out in Sweden, Ingmar Bergman's other film (laughs) of 1963, Winter Light. Uh, Winter Light is basically that scene from First Reformed where the guy comes up and is like, the world is effed and I'm going to kill myself, talk me out of this, stretched to 80 minutes. Um, Suicidal man finds the Swedish pastor um, and he is my life is meaningless as a fisherman and nuclear war is on the brink here. Talk me down. Um, it's an incredible, incredible movie that again, sounds like it could be a play, but in the hands of Sven Neichvist, um and then the actors that you have in there, uh, Max von Sydow plays the, the suicidal man. Um, this, this movie is uh,
1: my number one film of 1963. i um- I'm not gonna lie, I'm, while I appreciate Bergman, I haven't gotten to all of his films. I'm missing both of these from my mm. watch list. So, um, I still have to get to them. That said, uh, you mentioned Sven Nykvist, one of the all time great cinematographers. Oh. And Max Sydow yeah. was always good in, uh, yeah. in any of Bergman's films. He understands the material better than just about anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm not at all surprised. Once we were getting, once we got past five and you hadn't mentioned either one of them, I was like, I think they're both coming. Oh, yeah. Um, my number one, we already mentioned it, actually. Uh, I'm a huge Kurosawa fan, and High and Low is my mm. number one favorite Kurosawa film. Yeah. <laughs> it is also, incidentally, uh, one of the more recent Kurosawa films I've seen. I've seen almost all of his um, samurai films pr- prior to watching this one. I've really come around to his contemporary films, and to be completely up- up- upfront about it, High and Low is probably the highest ranking film for me personally that I've seen most recently. We just watched it during the pandemic. I'd never seen it before then, and I have not seen any film since then for the first time that I love more. I love the fact that this film starts out as a uh, a detective story about a kidnapping, and you have to follow the detective and the characters, try to piece everything together to try to rescue the child, and then suddenly at some point in the film, it switches to a game, a cat and mouse game, a real detective chasing the villain or the, the antagonist in the film. And I just love how smoothly Kurosawa transitions the movie from one subject in one style to another. I, I can rewatch this film constantly. I love, I love, love, love this movie. Awesome. So, yeah, I think that that supports my
0: thesis that 1963 is a great year in world cinema if not a great year for the Oscars, uh, Josh, how are you holding up there, bud? Uh, while you guys were talking, I pulled up La
2: Jeté on YouTube. <laughs> did you, did you it watch it? Posted in its entirety. You guys didn't talk for twenty eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean, I watched the first. I watched the first two minutes and eighteen seconds. Yeah. It looks good so far, oh. so I will continue watching it probably. But
0: yeah, yeah. Let me know. what you does think. that
2: mean? Does that mean all your whole type three is in your top one hundred of all time? Because your
0: yeah. number three was. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So yeah, great year for In My Esteem. Let's get to the uh, ranking of the Best Picture nominees here. Um,
2: Before we do that, may I give you the numbers comparing the five nominees? Please do.
0: Whether it be Box Office, Metacritic, etc.
2: Okay. Uh, Letterboxd. Start with Letterbox. Letterboxd, Letterbox. Letterboxd, letterbox. What do you think is the highest rated movie on Letterboxd of the five Best Picture nominees, being America, America, Cleopatra, How the West was won, Lilies of the Field, and Tom Jones? What do you think is the highest rated on Letterboxd? Lilies of the think? Field. Incorrect. Fuck. Though that is the second highest rated. Um, <laughs> it's America, America. I was just about to say that, huh. um, that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. America, America, 3.8. Uh, Lilies of the Field, 3.6. Cleopatra and How the West Was Won both have 3.4, but Cleopatra has twice as many uh, ratings, so I'm going to give that the three spot. And then Tom Jones, 2.9. Oh, 2.9. Oh, it's Tom not Jones.
0: unusual to be below a three on Letterboxd. <laughs>
2: Which, I mean, you can listen to the Tom Jones episode for my take on that. I kind of think that people on Letterboxd are being overly mean to it just because it won Best Picture and therefore it's being held to a different standard. Mm. That's just my opinion, though. Mm-hmm. But um. Also, just notably, not a whole lot of people have seen these based on Letterboxd ratings. Like, 16,000 people rated Cleopatra. 8,500 people rated How the West Was Won. And then, you know, 7,000 Tom Jones. 6,000 for Little of the Field. two point six thousand for America, America. So, like, not wow. many at all. So, like, yeah. pretty low. Uh, on Metacritic... Another thing we talked about last week for Tom Jones is that, you know, you, you said it didn't get rave reviews, but um, per Metacritic, at least, it actually was the highest critically reviewed movie of these five. Uh, 77 on Metacritic for Tom Jones, 72 for America, America, 61 for Liz the Field, 60 for Cleopatra, and only 56 for How the West Was Won. Ouch. And i want to know i mean granted like metacritic might i I think they dig into historical reviews to get this number i think so like i think that might also be capturing contemporaneous reviews i'm not really sure but one thing i noticed is 77 is not very high for metacritic and that's the highest metacritic rating of these five so like none of these were really super super well received critically it seems Mm -hmm. and like Fifty-six is like a pretty low number for Best Picture nominee, but also it's it's how the West was won. Like, like, kind of surprised me that that wasn't as uh, that was so middling with critics. Um, in terms of Oscar nominations, Tom Jones had ten. Cleopatra had nine. How the West was won had eight. Lose the field had five. and America, America only had four. And in terms of wins, Cleopatra had five. All below the line. Uh, Tom Jones had four. How the West was won had three of the field. And America, America, each had one, and then for box office, I could not find America, America box office data. I don't believe there was a substantial number there. Uh, that's probably why I can't find the data. But um, how the I'm sorry, Cleopatra made close to fifty eight million domestically, and it was still a huge bomb, <laughs> despite being I think the number one movie of sixty three. Um, how the West was one was right behind it at fifty million, which are both very substantial numbers for nineteen sixty three. Um, Tom Jones made seventeen million domestically and made i think even more in england and then lose the field i think we talked about this in the episode conflicting numbers either three or seven million dollars (laughs) but it was made for very 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 little Mm -hmm. so regardless that's pretty good for its budget and that's the comparison of the movies critically speaking tom jones was apparently most liked letterbox speaking america america is most liked and tom jones was most hated and uh oscar wise there's a lot of big, boisterous epics. They're getting a lot of, like, below nominations, but Tom Jones had the most nominations.
0: And, you know, I think that's consistent with what I believe we're going to see in just a moment, which is, I, if you remember fans of the show... Uh, last recap episode, I was like, "Hey, I think all of our re- all of our rankings are going to be the same," and they were the exact gosh darn same one through five for the three of us. Like we've got some hive mind going on over here. Um, I have no idea what's coming, um, not even from myself. Uh, so, um, oh, let's get to it, shall we? We'll go, Josh, Ken, TJ, run through your uh list from five to number one.
2: Yes, and before I do that, I want to tell. I want to say into the microphone what I said to you guys before we turn on the mics, which is that uh, there is a shockingly small delta between my number five and my number one. And um, so I, I wrote out a list in order because you asked me to. But like if you asked me to do this again tomorrow, probably going to get a different order. If you asked me to do it again in a month, uh, probably a really different order. And um, as I alluded earlier, some of these movies just did not stay with me at all. And so like I don't really have... I don't have super strong feelings about any of these five, which is weird because I feel like in past years, I either really, really liked at least one or two or really, really didn't like at least one or two, and I'm just very, very middle of the road on all five of these. Mm. So that's my little spiel before we rank. So before anybody comes at me on Twitter for my horrible takes, I don't really feel strong enough to defend these, but
0: They go straight to hell.
2: My number five, I'm just going to say Cleopatra. Are you
0: kidding and me? <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> Honestly, I thought this movie was fine. It was just four hours long, and that's a huge uh, strike against it. And so it's going in the five spot because it is um, unforgivably long. But it's not a bad movie, and I'm not like not, like not super bummed that I watched it. I wouldn't recommend it to that many people, but like there are some people I'd recommend it to for sure. So number five, Cleopatra. Ken?
1: Over here, my number five, I've got How the West Was Won um Ooh. i have so i admitted i had a relationship with three of these movies prior to our watching them sexual um, in nature <laughs> yeah. no thank god um there there's there's absolutely nothing to love that much about any of these but <laughs> how, the, how the west was one is the movie uh of all five of these that i just i can't get behind it's just mm. too much hoorah american spirit aren't we all great and you know Expanding westward, unlike any other peoples in the history of mankind, and look, look how difficult it was, and how great the world is now. And by great, we mean, you know, twelve lanes of, of interstate highway circling around. And maybe Shot through expensive. a dirty lens. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's an oddity, and I just it's an epic that I just don't think works. So I do I do separate it a bit from the others. I think it's just kind of a fail on what they're trying to do.
0: Well, Josh, I agree with you and disagree with you. Uh, my number 5 is Cleopatra. So I agree with you on that. I disagree with you on I think this is a bad movie. I'm glad I, I saw it. Bad. I I think it's trash. Um and okay. Uh I don't really have much to say uh, about it other than I really didn't like it. And I mean,
2: there is there's is some amount of schadenfreude going on where like they spent so much goddamn fucking money on this movie. And so and then it ended up being four hours long and the epic of all epics and then like even though it was the number one movie of the year it still was a major, major, major bomb for the studio. So like something about that I think like I kind of want it to be bad in hmm. like um, but I don't think it's
0: like super bad. Okay. I don't know though. Hard to say. It is, it is not like super bad at all. No, it is not <laughs> super bad, no. All right, number four. I'm
2: going with uh, I kind of went back and forth here with my three and my four. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with America, America, because as I mentioned, I remember so little of this, and I'm really sorry, guys, because I know you guys both had it uh, in your top 15s for the year, so uh, maybe I should just listen back to the episode to hear your takes on it, because I you know, I haven't edited the episode yet, so even though you're listening to this, we've already aired it. Uh, that conversation was a long time ago as we are recording this, so... Um, Sorry, I just, I don't remember much of it, and don't have. A, I thought it was, I was pretty lukewarm on it when we watched it in the first place, and like it. As I said earlier, in the intervening weeks, it kind of just fell out of my mind entirely. I think I think
1: that's an honest take, though. If it completely fell out of your mind, it it means it's not it's not staying with you after your after watching it. Re- realistically,
2: though, maybe um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this should be three, but for now I'll leave it at four. I, I won't second guess myself.
1: At at number four, I'm really departing from what we've already discussed, and I'm going with Cleopatra. Oh, um, th- yeah, I think we're I think I'm pretty much burying Cleopatra for this conversation <laughs> in this series, um, given what you've already mentioned. Cleopatra, I I just it's it's not a, a movie that works. That said. I don't. I maybe it's the 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 Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton aspect of the film. Maybe it's the fact that I actually kind of appreciate what uh, Rex Harrison is doing in the movie, and the whole backstory about the filming of this film. I don't know what it is, but I am fascinated to to hell and back by this movie. So, and I've mentioned during that during our, our episode, I've seen this movie now three times. I think beginning to end or something like that. So I've spent a lot of time with this movie. <laughs> yeah. And, um, like half a day again, it's not, it's not, it's not that it's a good film. I don't think that any more than I did the first time I saw it, but there's something about it that, that I can, I can get behind and sit and watch it. So it didn't land at the bottom of my list. I've got it here at number four.
0: Well, speaking of the bottom of Ken's list, my number four is how the West was Won. Um, Ken I think he characterized it pretty well. Um, all the only distinction I would make here is I really kind of hated Cleopatra, and I could watch how the West was won again, but I think it's pretty big and dumb and naive. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, some things I liked about it, but overall, I was I was not impressed. As we're discussing this, I'm like rethinking my
2: rankings. Even though I said I wouldn't second guess myself, I'm like <laughs> rethinking. I'm re I'm rethinking this in real time, but. Whatever. Again, my caveat is there's so little difference between my number five and number one. So continue on. My number three is uh "Lilies of the Field." Mmm. "Lilies of the Field." Um, I thought this was good. I think my favorite thing about it is it was like 93 minutes long, and <laughs> the we watched before it were like all 250 plus. Um, this is a pretty historic movie, just in like the uh you know trivia of the Oscars because it has historic Best Actor win for um. Sydney Portier, but um, it's a nice little movie. Uh, I, again, I I watched it and like I'm like I get it seeing Sydney Portier. Like I get the charm, I get the appeal, I get why he was as big of a deal as he was. Um, also, a little slight though. I thought in the scheme mm-hmm. of things, you know. But
1: all right, for me at number three, I've got the Best Picture winner, Tom Jones. Oh, um, for me, I, I and we discussed this last week on the episode, but. Um, There's a lot that I appreciated about this film. And at the same time, I think the pacing throws me off. And I think the silliness of the film kind of does it a slight disservice here among some of these other more serious movies. I guess my biggest problem with Tom Jones is I appreciate what he's trying to do. I just don't think Tony Richardson completely pulls it off. I think the fact that other films, as we discussed last week, carried the torch later on... Um, I think that's, that makes it an important movie in that regard, but not necessarily one that in and of itself, um, fits here. So I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's, I think it's a a worthwhile watch. But again, I just don't think it succeeds on everything it's trying to do or trying to be. Okay. Uh, well, my number three is also Tom Jones.
0: Um, I appreciate the, risks it took as we talked about last week um i appreciate the irreverence and the silliness of it especially kind of zigging where one might expect it to zag however i'm not really super fond of it it didn't really connect with me in any meaningful or profound way um this is one that i think in a couple weeks i'll be like oh yeah tom jones um so oh yeah tom jones
2: i think it probably feels similarly to you tj which is why it's my number two (laughs) <laughs> um this is recently biased because as we're recording this i watched tom jones yesterday and then i uh, watched also i rewatched like the first hour 45 or like hour and a half uh today so i it's very fresh um which is more than i can say for than america america so maybe if i watch america america tonight then i will completely reorder my rankings but uh, don't do that to yourself <laughs> as we discussed in the tom jones episode I think I had low expectations for this because it has a reputation of being uh, a lesser Best Picture winner, and I'm not saying it's not a lesser Best Picture winner, but I also like liked it a whole lot more than people on Letterbox might lead you to believe that you might like it. Mm. Um, I thought the the playing with the form worked, the fourth wall breaks, the uh, slowing down speed of the camera, that kind of stuff worked. I thought the chase, the hunting scene was cool. I thought the uh, dinner scene where he has dinner with Yvonne Humpelot was very good. Um, I think Albert Finney is great. So, yeah, I mean, why not put it number two? Hot take. Tom Jones isn't bad.
1: There you go. Kenny. At number two, I have Lisa the Field. Um, ah. I, I think I agree, actually, with what Josh mentioned earlier. It's a slight film. I don't think it's a particularly profound movie. Um, I, I don't think it's it's doing anything that is all that important and i don't think it's trying to be i think it's a charming film that nails exactly what the director and the actors and the scriptwriter set out to do mm-hmm. and i'm probably there's some there's some bias here as i mentioned during the episode i've i was first introduced to this film as a kid because my parents had a vhs copy so my background with this movie goes back much further and so there's some personal bias, I guess, in favor of this movie um, to the extent that I quite enjoy it. I've rewatched it a few times, um, but I admit it's not all that great or that uh, big of a film, not just in length, but it's just, it's slight. I like Josh's use of that word. It is slight, but mm-hmm. the charming aspect of it wins it enough to put it here at number two for me. It's also my number two. Um
0: i like this movie i don't love this movie i could see myself watching this movie again but as you guys mentioned it's not terribly profound it's not um doesn't take a lot of risks aesthetically i appreciate that it's kind of an independent film um Sidney poitier is really great in this and it's like man i get it like why yeah. he was a he was a big thing i find it kind of cute and if that that could also be kind of problematic about it to be honest <laughs> but um I just liked it better than the other three. So, also, it's in black and white, and that's an easy win for me. Um, so, Lilies of the Field. Josh, that leaves you with
2: How the West Was Won, which I'm struggling to remember why I put this at number one. Because, um, actually, here's why I put it at number one. I thought the it, it's, it's five segments, as we discussed in the episode, it's five independent, it's an anthological movie. And I thought the first one was good, or I don't know. I don't know if I thought it was good. I at least liked it. Uh second one I also liked. Not sure if it was good, but I liked it. And the fifth one I liked. And then the third and the fourth, I could I can't tell you a goddamn thing that happened <laughs> in the third and fourth segments of this movie. So even though it's my number one movie of these five, I forty uh, percent of it has completely left my brain. But the remaining sixty percent I remember liking okay. So why not number one? Well on the was <laughs> just one. A very just strong, strong uh, case being made. They should put that on the poster. Why not?
1: <laughs> oh. uh, Ken's number five film of the bunch. I, I, so. I love that we are really, really, really advertising these films well, I think, for our yeah. listeners. If you haven't seen them, run out and see at least at least 60% of How the West was won, according to John. Why not? How
2: the West was won, at least it had an intermission. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes, you know? It did. And an overture? So it says three hours in the box, but it's actually less than three hours. So, hey, there you go. Why not?
1: Uh, Ken? (laughs) Yeah, for number one, that leaves – I already tipped it it off earlier when I I listed my top ten. I've got America, America at number one. Um, I actually really liked this film quite a bit. Um, Like I said earlier, I'm not going to rush out to rewatch it. But I really appreciated uh, Ilya Kazan's take on The Immigrant Journey. Um, it was. It felt fresh. It didn't feel like anything I've seen before in telling the story, and I also very, very much liked the fact that it wasn't necessarily um, overly pro-America or um, pro the opportunity available. It focused more on the character at the heart of it, Stavros, and his journey specifically and uniquely. And the fact that he's striving to get to America and by the end of the film, I'm not necessarily sure whether Kazan intended it or not. Um, in fact, we, I think we discussed that he probably intended it to be more um, pro-America, or at least the opportunities that his family found, given the fact that he's a successful filmmaker being able to reproduce his uncle's story here. Um, I actually appreciated the fact that it, by the end of the movie, I'm not so sure that he's all that much better off than he was mm. previous in the movie. And so there's a certain level of honesty about the picture that comes through in just the natural, uh, way it unfolds. That again, I'm not sure Kazan even intended it, but that my takeaway, um, leaves me really appreciating the truth I found in the movie.
0: My number one is also America, America. This is the only film out of these five that I'm like, that's a really good film. Um, not top 100 material for me, but, um. No. It's also the only one that I'm like, I get why this is a Best Picture nominee. Um, I, I think it has an epic scope. It needs an epic scope, yet it's also intimate. I think it has a really authentic flavor in the way that it presents various cultures and subcultures in the movie. Um, I think the cinematography by Haskell Wexler is gorgeous. Yeah. Um, it worked for me emotionally very well um, at several parts. And I, I really liked this film. Josh, you're the numbers person. Um What's our best picture?
2: Our best picture, collectively, assigning a five five points for a number one movie, down to assigning only one point for number five movie, and, and all numbers in between. That means our best picture is America, America, oh. with 12 points. Okay. Because it got two from me, and five from Ken, and five from TJ. Cool. Uh, our second place is Lose The Field, right behind it, wow. with 11 points. Oh, shit. Because uh, it got three points from me, two, four points from Ken, four points from TJ. And just behind that... Is Tom Jones with 10 points. Hi. So it's pretty crowded up the top. <laughs> 12, 11, 10 for America, America, Field, and Tom Jones. And, um, 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 and then How the West is one in fourth with only eight points. Cleopatra bring up the rear with barely more than the minimum. where it got four <laughs> points, minimum being three. Because Ken put it at number four and not at number five.
0: All right. Well, there we go. So according to Serious Film People, the 1963 Oscars got it wrong. It should not have been Tom Jones. It should have been America, America. Um, so Screw them <laughs>
1: <laughs> And oh, yeah, This or was tr- fun Or um, more truthfully, the, I think the reality here Based upon our top ten that we talked about They, they screwed up by Totally ignoring international cinema Uh, which could be The
0: tagline of the academy Um, screws <laughs> up by totally Ignoring international cinema Correct
1: me if I'm wrong, and it, for since both, 1928 <laughs> For both of us, our top three personal lists included films not like made outside of america for for both of us our top three star mm-hmm. yeah, international yeah.
2: And i believe for the second second series in a row uh the best picture winner was only third place on our list oh. i believe going
0: my way 1944 was also in the yep. three slot that's correct of our collective list interesting yes. interesting so. All right, well, that wraps 1963, and more excitingly, that means I don't have to host again for like three more months, so... Woo! uh, (laughs) Where are we
2: going next? The reason being... Uh, The reason being is the next series we got, uh, I will be hosting, and it is our first foray into a year with more than five nominees, so I'll be hosting for a while (laughs) when we talk about the films nominated for Best Picture in 2010, 2010 Movies. 2011 ceremony
0: so okay um should you say what those movies are now or
2: well i can just say that the first week alphabetic well first of all you can look it up <laughs> second of all don't <laughs> look of all, too people worse. listening to this <laughs> second of all people listening to this probably remember 2010 i can't imagine i i know what the demographics are who listen to us and it's people who remember 2010 i'm very very confident so you probably remember it was nominated then um but also the first movie alphabetically that we'll be discussing next week is Danny Boyle's hundred and twenty seven hours. Alphabetic,
0: so alphabetically? So like beginning with the H? 100?
2: Uh well wouldn't it be the O one hundred? Oh I thought it's it was not called a hundred twenty seven. No, it's called no. uh hun- so it's
0: hundred twenty seven hours, comma uh.
2: No, one. <laughs> one comes before A when you're listening alphabetically, so uh, eight and a half is very high on my shelf in the alphabetical mm. assortment of my blu rays and DVD. So because you have no no honored. movies
0: titled A through D. <laughs> I'm just even, fucking with you. <laughs> we, even, we,
1: even into, we haven't we haven't really taken a deep uh, conversation into our personal uh, movie uh, personal physical media collection, which
0: we'll do a different time okay. uh, <laughs> for next week.
2: 127 hours, starring James Franco, directed by Danny Boyle, released in 2010. Come back for that.
0: All right. Between a rock and a hard place. There we go. Thanks bye. all. Have a splendid week. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Bye bye.
2: Bye. See you.